Welcome in to AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent AWA podcast and video stream, and we are dedicated to the old wrestling. Um, no, ah, you know what? Fuck it. We're live. We're live. We're live. See, I feel like I wanted to really start over. This is what happens when I'm out for a week. I can't get it right. I'm like, oh, normally I'll just like three, two, one. I'm like, ah, shit. Okay, wow. it's AWA Unleashed. It's unleashed. Hey, at least we're we're giving you who we really are, right? I mean, let's just. I was gonna have this cool intro coming back from you know a couple weeks off and da 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 da, and I can't even get it out of my friggin' mouth. You've opened the door because now I can I can go full full throttle. That may be a. Uh, you might have actually beat SD Jones WrestleMania record for coming out with the quickest f bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe uh, you remember that when uh, Burt Blylevin was doing a twins broadcast I and, do. and yes. he thought it was like recording. He's like, oh God, we got to go. And he's like, no, we're live. And then he tried to like, I think it was uh, Anthony LaPanta that tried to, yep. to, to make it work. But um, Hey, here we are. Uh, whew, boy. Um, okay. Argent says erasers are on pencils, so just live with it. I have no idea. I need to just mute myself and let you guys do it. Uh, Well, we're back, and we've had a great time with the response that we've gotten from the last couple of shows uh, regarding our fans and people that you guys have uh, have interacted with and people that they know. Um, first of all, guys, it's good to be back. We haven't had a chance to address the, the lift bridge show that we did out in, it was supposed to be new Richmond, Wisconsin. It was switched to Stillwater because they thought there might've been some, uh, inclement weather. We haven't had a chance to, to really kind of talk about that, but I mean, overall, I think it went well considering that, I mean, it was the first one. I had no idea what to expect. I thought it went really well. Um, it was kind of a tough environment, you know, once they, once they kind of switched locations, we were in a, in a place in the building itself that was kind of like off the beaten path a little bit. It, it, it was, it was not easy for like acoustically for us sound wise. Right, exactly. It was very hard for our sound to get from one end of the building to the other, but there, there's nothing you can do about that. No. And, and you know what, and it'll get better next time. And that is to say nothing about how great we were treated by Liftbridge. Oh, they're fabulous. Uh, absolutely. Not only Liftbridge, but MAW, uh, you know, nobody said they had to invite us in, you know, as, as part of that show. And they did and really appreciate it. Great to interact with the fans. though. So that's what yeah. it's all about. And we did have a good turnout of fans that turned their chairs around. They were part of the show. We've got yeah. questions and I had somebody that sent me a, a text, or I think it was on Facebook, you know, how can we download this show? And that was what made this really special, because this was for those fans that took the time out of their day to yeah. come to the live event. This was something special for you guys. And we're going to do this again. So there's going to be another live event. And come on out and meet us, talk with us. We love talking with you, sharing stories, hearing your stories. Yeah, and you mentioned the big shout-out to LiftBridge. I mean, they've been absolutely, absolutely incredible since day one. So thank you to uh, to Claire, to Carrie, to everybody out at, at LiftBridge. I mean, you guys have just been absolutely outstanding and very fortunate to have you guys uh, a part of us. 
Um, also, Soda Stick as well, guys. I'm wearing the Skull hat. Uh, Mick, you've got the Met Center hat. And, you know, with Soda Stick, the cool thing is, guys, like we've got the T-shirt, but now we've also got the uh, exclusive, um, the personalized hoodie. And I'm going to put the information up on the uh, up on the banner here. Uh, just uh, give me a give me a second here. There it is. And we've got the personalized hoodie where it's a, a black and white hoodie. You can put your name, uh, personalized, whatever it is. You can have it on the uh, on the edge of the hood, and that's only uh, available at SodaStickCo.com. Uh, you can just search, you can even just search AWA or AWA Unleashed, um, and and all the information's there. And by the way, it's the only place you guys to go to get your official AWA Unleashed merchandise. Um, if you see it someplace else, just know that it ain't legit, it ain't real, and we're gonna get you. Okay, where you're gonna get got. That's a that's a guarantee. You're gonna get got. Um, but again, thanks to Soda Stick. Uh, for everything that they do for us. And by the way, guys, um, I know that you guys like, I mean, who doesn't like food, right? I like food. You like food? Occasionally. Um, occasionally. You're, you're, we, yeah. 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 We have got a brand new sponsor. Somebody, I'm so excited. It is the best frozen pizza on the market. It is 7th Avenue Pizza, you guys. It is just, it's great, especially on the grill. Uh, they've got a meatball and, and pepperoni that is just a die for. Um, they're available all throughout the, the the Twin Cities area. I mean, the thing is, it's frozen, but it's fresh. It, it is so friggin' good. Um, it's, I mean, I, I can't even tell you. It's our go-to pizza that we have. And believe me, you don't get it. I would be like body by pizza, right? I, I would actually like put the camera down lower, but then I oh, feel please like. Please don't go to- lower. Not No, no, no. I have to go to a an, no, 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 stop, stop. Okay. Hold on. There we go. Oh, you see that? That's body by pizza right there. That's sure body is. by pizza right there. Okay. So now, uh, well, we've lost uh, three quarters of the audience. Let's just keep talking. Uh, I think they pretty much tuned out when I couldn't get the opening out of my mouth. Correct. Well, you so, got something um, out of your mouth that was X rated, but wow. Are we doing a show today at all? I, I just want to get the plug in, and George is sitting there being all like, you know, pervy. He's being George. Man. George is being George. Yeah. When you're talking pizza and you see Karch, he's salivating over there. He can't wait to get to the freezer where he's got a lifetime supply of them. Yeah. So uh, all kidding aside, yeah, thank you to 7th, uh, 7th Avenue Pizza and Matt. I'm just I'm thrilled to have you guys on. And uh, Lift Bridge, I mean, it's summertime. Check out your drinks. Get your AWA Unleashed swag and uh, hidey ho, away we go. All right, guys, today is a no DQ&A. It's another one. Uh, We haven't done this in a while. And what this is, is this is this is something that is just it's fun because people have questions and we don't always get to a lot of the questions that people have. Um, So here's a chance maybe to have some of these, maybe, you know, something that you've always wanted to know. We're going to go ahead and get started with it. And uh, before we get going, guys, I I have a question. We were talking about tag teams. um, And Mm -hmm. and I know that we were talking about the best tag teams of all time. And I know, George, that you're not a fan of, you know, the later stages of the the AWA when it started to go downhill. 
But I want to ask you, and maybe because of the time frame, this is more for you, Mick. Um, in terms of like the best tag teams of maybe the late 80s to the early 90s, and this is, you know, from Chris in Plymouth, um, what, who would you say are some of the, the better tag teams that maybe would go under the radar from that point in time? I would name two of them, and that may be about it. Um, but certainly the Destruction Crew, and I know we got a question coming up about them in just a little bit. Uh, Wayne Bloom and Mike Enos, and also uh, Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond. Uh, those, I think, were the two teams in the AWA towards the And I know that DJ Peterson and the Trooper were the last AWA tag team champions, but I just, you know, I, I don't put them in the same class, the same category. The tag team scene in the AWA was pretty abysmal uh, towards the very end there, but I think those those two stand out. Okay, because I know that that's, uh, that was one thing that uh, I, I know a few people were wondering about, and, you know, I, I just, I had to ask it for me. All right, George, let's get to uh, to you uh, for number one here. We've got, uh, hi, George, Tom Holler here. I have a question for the next No DQ&A, which is this one. Uh, I recall an episode of All-Star Wrestling where a guy from the audience jumped into the ring after a match to challenge Dr. X for his for uh, $5,000 to break the figure four test. Was this a real audience member or was he planted by Vern and or Wally? Well, when I saw the question and I was trying to re recollect, you know, all the TV matches, all the different uh, studio matches that I saw both sometimes at the studio and most often at home. And I am telling you, I honestly do not remember that happening. Now, I'm not saying it didn't, but I do not remember it. And I, you know, I would say maybe Mick Karch, he sat in the studio every week. He had his own seat there. They had his name on it. I, maybe he does, but I don't. So Tom, I'm going to say, I don't remember it. And therefore I hate to say this, but I don't think it happened. Uh, I don't recall that happening. The only thing that I can, and this goes back probably seven, eight years prior to that, uh, Mr. M, uh, Bill Miller, actually had a fan uh, come into the ring and, you know, he had a challenge, uh, beat me in 10 minutes and I'll give you some money or whatever it was. The fan was a plant. He was a wrestler. Uh, but I don't remember that happening with Dr. X. So, sorry. Okay. Uh, for uh, for you here, Mick, uh, let's go to uh, to your first one. Uh, back at the end of the AWA, it was looking like there was going to be a turn with Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. Uh, Mike would talk and Wayne would interrupt him on the TV interviews. And, and this kind of goes into that destruction crew that we were just talking about. Was there a plan to have them feuding the AWA or was that idea scrapped? Because soon they'd become the Beverly brothers in what was the WWF. Uh, that's from Paul Lundstrom. Uh, I would say, Paul, it more than likely was going to happen. I can't imagine that they weren't going anywhere uh, with that. Um, I don't know that firsthand, but but I would certainly anticipate that at some point Mike Enos would have had about enough of it and, you know, taken care of business. Um, as far as the destruction crew, I mentioned them before. You know, not only were they the Beverly Brothers, of course, uh, but they also were Minnesota Wrecking Crew number two, in WCW for a while. So they uh, they had a pretty good run. Uh, and Wayne's son, Von Wagner, 
in uh, NXT is doing very, very well. Cal Bloom. So uh, the legacy continues. You know, I'd like to to say about I'd like to say about Enos and Bloom. I really do believe that they were the last really great tag team that the AWA had. And that gimmick we're talking about where Wayne would always overtalk Mike and, and say, I'll handle this. Whether or not there was a plan, you know, down the road. I mean, we were at the end of the AWA here, guys. And whether there was a plan or not, it would have been a good one to eventually have them turn. But I think that's what makes them such a memorable team now in hindsight is that everyone remembers that I'll handle this. And whether they broke up or not. And then I will add that Mick was correct about the Minnesota Wrecking Crew too, but they were under masks when they did that uh, down in, in Georgia. So that was kind of a unique gimmick, too. The uh, second one for you here, George. Do you remember the night at the Minneapolis Auditorium that Kenny J and George Gadaski wrestled for the Losers Trophy? Yes, I do. Um, you know, Kenny J, George Gadaski are probably two of our most beloved enhancement talent guys. And the AWA had a very creative idea back in the very early 70s. They said, we'll have a battle of the losers trophy going to the winner of this match. And they had a series of matches around the AWA where Kenny and George wrestled for this trophy and the winner would get it. They did exchange it back and forth. And I will add that there was another guy that was in the mix a couple of times on this trophy deal. And that was KO Ken Yates, who at the time was, you know, up there with Kenny, Jay, and uh, George Gadaski. But, yeah, it was it was a great gimmick match for the opening of cards and got both guys over with the fans. It was interesting, too, Chris. They, the AWA actually had what they called a loser's battle royal uh, yes. back in the day, and uh, the winner of that match was Eddie Sharkey, if I recall. Eddie went over in the Battle Royal. But, you know, when you think about it, we use the term jobber and enhancement talent and everything else, but they were actually billing it as the Battle Royal of the Losers. So (laughs) I'm not quite sure the jobber is as denigrating as we think uh, when we talk about that. But, uh, yeah. Were they, I mean, did they ever get offended that they were called losers or was it just just part of the job? I mean, to get a No pun intended. Cash the check. Yeah. Cash the check. I think that's the bottom line. And they were legitimately billed in the programs at the time, Battle of the Losers. Okay. Uh, And And the fans got it. I mean, hey, that's their world. Well, and when you're doing it, again, I mean, that's that's your job. It's your role. And people – People are behind you. Like people appreciate you. That's your thing. People are behind you because you're the underdog, right? I mean, that's Correct. kind of the whole thing. Correct. And these guys were talented enough that they got at least a little bit of the spotlight. Uh, got to one for you, Mick, from Douglas Oswald. Did the AWA make a decision to go with a lot of indie guys in their final years? Because it seems like there was a whole roster shift. Absolutely, they did. What was it? Well, first of all, everybody, you know, there was somebody, the big names had all gone to WWF and and, uh, they had that mass exodus. But it was interesting because for years, Vern kind of looked down on the what he called the bar shows, the local shows that uh, Eddie Sharkey and et cetera would do uh, the Pro Wrestling America promotion. 
But when push came to shove and the exodus was going on in, in the 1989-1990 era, there you got an example. Ricky Rice uh, went over to the AWA. Uh, Derek Dukes is another example. Larry the Butcher Cameron. Uh, uh, Tom Burton. Basically, it was a, a shift over from the PWA to the AWA when they were doing their television tapings in Rochester. So certainly, I mean, it got to the point, you know, where Eddie kind of had the last laugh uh, on Vern, I would say, because he, he did, in fact, uh, start using Eddie's talent. Oh, wait a minute. Mike Button. There we go. Uh, was that because did Vern, did he just feel like he didn't have any other choice other than to kind of get some of these guys that were with Eddie Sharkey's PWA and, and just other local talent? I mean, was that just a, a last gasp? I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know if he felt that way. Like this is the only thing I can do, but it was the only thing he could do. I mean, in, in essence, and these guys, even if they were wrestling in front of 300 people at George's and Fridley, they had built up a following. And yeah. part of that is because of Saturday Night at Ringside. We gave them exposure. People knew who they were. And they were talented. They were very, very talented guys that, uh, you know, finally got a chance, you know, to, uh, to wrestle on uh, national television. And, you know, when, when Mick says they were talented guys, that's an understatement, actually, yeah. because Ricky Rice and Derek Dukes and Larry Cameron and some of the others that you mentioned, they were very talented. And unfortunately, they hadn't had their opportunity to come into the limelight with an AWA or any of the other bigger promotions. Mm -hmm. And so this was a good time for them. In the heyday, yeah, they'd have been a mid-card guy or maybe an opening card guy. But nonetheless, in the end... I think we got the best of the lot when it comes yes. to that type of talent. And they, they deserve to be recognized. A uh, follow-up on that. Who was the one, do you know who was the one that would go out and scout the, the talent? Was it Vern or did he have somebody that would go around and, and talk with local promoters? Do you guys know, or is that just kind of something that it's just one of those unanswered questions? I think it's an unanswered question. I can tell you that it, I'm sure it wasn't Vern. Uh, you know, if, if uh, Greg or somebody else, maybe, you know, there was always, you know, the, the AWA, the office staff in those days, Rob Russell and guys like that, they knew what was going on. They had their pulse on the independent wrestling scene. And I think it was them that probably said, hey, these guys are great. You know, let's let's give them a shot. Not to okay. mention it was a money thing, you know, towards the end, too, where Vern didn't have the money to match. Right. The, the bigger salary. So if if the Ricky Rices, et cetera, came to him or were available, it made sense for him to do it. And he was going before smaller crowds. So he didn't have the, the checkbook anymore to to compete. That's the sad part. Uh, for you, George, roughly what was the first time that Andre the Giant appeared on an AWA card in Minnesota uh, from Matthew Hurt? And he said, thank you for all of your pro wrestling knowledge. Thank you, Matthew. Actually, I can give you the exact date, and it was a memorable night. It was uh, July 24th, 1971. Oh, and that boy. was the first night that Andre the Giant appeared in the AWA. He appeared as Bulbulinski's surprise partner, and he was on the card as Andre Rusimov. He uh, came into battle Hennig and Anderson, 
And on that memorable night was also the night Ray Stevens made his AWA ring debut. And, of course, the big event of that night was when Hercules Cortez was killed in the early morning hours in a car accident coming back from Winnipeg. And they had to change the main event, so it was monumental in another sense that it was the first night and the first time in the AWA that Nick Bockwinkle and Vern Gagne wrestled. It was a non-title match. Nick, uh, Vern took Hercules' place that night. So a lot of things on that card um, is just a stand-up. But that was Andre's first night. For, uh, for you, Mick, from Jerry Joy, how did the AWA venture into Winnipeg, and how was attendance compared to other AWA cities? I don't know exactly how they ventured into Winnipeg. You know, as far back as I can remember, it was part of the territory. They had a couple of contacts up there. Uh, Al Tomko, who was the Winnipeg promoter, and actually wrestled under a couple of different names. He wrestled under Leroy Hirsch, and then in the AWA on television, he had wrestled as Bill Todd. So he was the promoter. He was the connection up there in Winnipeg, as was Merv Unger, a good friend of ours who came in as an AWA referee on occasion. So there was always the contact there. Uh, I have heard stories that Blackjack Lanza uh, had something to do with the Winnipeg promotion, you know, towards the end before Jack went to WWE. But the, the, the crowds were good. The car, the crowds were great. Winnipeg was a hotbed for the AWA, uh, probably short of uh, St. Paul and Minneapolis, drew every bit as good as the other AWA cities, Chicago, Denver, what have you. So uh, Winnipeg goes way, way back. And uh, the next one for you, George. Um, I think we all know the answer, but I'll ask anyway, were any of the wrestlers uh, ever given any sort of health insurance at all? Uh, let me go ahead and uh, get the rest of this here. Um, seems to me they could have used it without the pounding they took. And if the answer is no, did Werner Wally ever help any wrestler out with some medical bills if they were too much for a wrestler? Boy, and you know, that is a very, very good question. And the obvious answer in that time era, uh, no, the wrestlers did not have health insurance, which is the reason some of the wrestlers in later years tried to form unions and that sort of thing. But they did not have health insurance. Ironically, uh, when a wrestler in that time frame, in that era, the 60s, 70s, the 50s, 80s, they, if they were hurt, uh, unless it was really, really serious, they went in and they wrestled with a broken finger, broken wrist, uh, ankles, uh, you name it. And they, they couldn't afford to take the time off because if they were off, they number one, they could lose their spot in the promotion. And that was something they all fought to have. And to answer the second part of the question, in all territories at different times, there were very selective cases where a promoter would come forth and maybe assist a wrestler in, a, in an individual situation, not pay their health insurance or all their bills, but assist them in some way. But it was very, very rare. And so these wrestlers, when they were hurt, they wrestled. And that was the ironic part. We always heard about these worked injuries when they were yeah. out of action to work at a storyline and, and build a program. But many times when they were really hurt, they went in and nobody knew it. And and you and you can tell by the way they performed so well. So the answer is no, sad. 
And that seems like a pretty common theme that you guys are talking about, that guys did work because they were afraid of, of losing their spot. And we're not in a position right now where, like, I, I know AEW and Tony Khan, I, I know they pay for insurance. And there's, like, the, the entire landscape of society, guys, has changed in terms of what people are taking care of in terms of, of medically now. And because I, I believe... I don't know if WWE gets insurance or not. I, I don't know if they're still considered independent contractors, but it it does seem like this seemed to be a problem back in, not, not a problem, just an issue back in the day. You just use the word independent contractors, and that is the true phrase to use about the wrestlers of the kayfabe era. They were paid out of that pay. They were supposed to take care of everything whether it be their travel, their lodging, mm-hmm. they're, they're obviously taking care of their families, uh, and health insurance was part of it. So independent contractors for sure. We do know, you know that there are promoters that would once in a while kick in. What, what I would say to that too, Chris, is it, it's a shame, but when we see the wrestlers or saw the wrestlers at Cauliflower Alley Club, the guys from the golden age of wrestling, all crippled up. I mean, so many of them with walkers and canes, wheelchairs. It was pretty obvious that they didn't get the medical care over the years that they could have. So, yeah, you're right. Landscape, completely different. This one for you, Mick, from uh, Hartley Hyman on Twitter. Uh, I recall before Mean Gene jumped to the WWF seeing an interview with Sheik Adnan LKC on the Winnipeg TV feed where Sheik referenced that he heard Gene's job was in jeopardy and then never saw him on AWA TV again. Did anyone see this? Well, if it was in the Winnipeg market, I didn't see it. Uh, You know, the AWA uh, would insert their local promos uh, for the various markets, various cities, have the wrestlers customize it. So that may have just been a Winnipeg thing. And my guess is from the sounds of it, uh, if if that did in fact happen, Adnan probably had a little inside track to the fact that Gene was leaving. There's uh, there's old mean Gene. Uh, Adnan, I'm sure the the uh, the whole promo was tongue in cheek, and Adnan was probably uh, tossing Gene a bone there. You know, your job is in jeopardy, knowing damn well he was going out east. But the, the, I personally didn't see it. For uh, for you, George, uh, the next one here. Um, hi, love the AWA podcast. Um, I'm 62, grew up in Chicago and went to many cards at the International Amphitheater promoted by Bob Luce, where not just the AWA, but the WWA were well uh, presented and wrestled each other. Uh, can you uh, do a podcast on the cooperation between the two territories? Uh, how would it be decided what talents went over? That from Erwin uh, uh, William Davis. Well, thank you, Irwin. And just so you know, Chris, it's Luce, Bob Luce. Bob Luce, sorry. Was the, was the promoter. Well, that's fine um, if you don't have it in front of you. Uh, I'm Bob Luce. Luce. I've already said Luce. I'm, I'm committing to that. That's fine. He's not here, so we can do it. Hey, but here's the deal with Chicago. Yeah, now, I'm, if, now, 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 now I'm being disrespectful to the dead. Well, you just made me feel even better. Boy, what a show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here we go, folks. Here's the answer to the question. Uh, Chicago was a very unique city in the AWA. And from the mid-60s on, when Vern Gagne and Dick the Bruiser took over the territory, which we call Chicago, 
they jointly owned Chicago and promoted Chicago. What was unique about it is that the Bruiser owned the Indianapolis-based uh, WWA. Vern had the AWA, Minneapolis-based. And Chicago was so cool because both wrestlers, Bruiser and Ganya, would bring in their respective talent. Now, you ask the question, how did they decide who goes over? If you look at the Chicago cards, which I do because I have all the, the results from them, Vern and Bruiser were very creative in how sometimes Bruiser's guys would be in the main event and sometimes Vern's guys would be in the main event. And then they would share the talent on the undercard. They were very uh, respectful to each other's territory. They had an incident once in the mid-60s when Dick the Bruiser was the WWA champion and Mad Dog Vashon was the AWA champion. And they had a series of matches in Chicago where they were going to battle for the world title, so to speak. And Mad Dog was given the nod. So it was pretty good a bruiser in that instance because he removed that WWA title from uh, Chicago. But going forward, his talent was always there. And I always envy the fans that got to see some of the talent that we didn't in the AWA proper. But that's how they worked it out. It was very creatively done by both wrestlers jointly owning the territory. And before we go any further, guys, we're about halfway through. Uh, just want to tell for those that are watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe, uh, rate, review, comment, share. That's a good way to help us grow. Uh, so if, if you're watching, just hit the subscribe button. It, it does us a, a, a huge solid. So just want to uh, just want to go ahead and, and get that out there. Uh, the next one for you, Mick. There are a lot of different directions you could go with this, but what is your dream AWA match? Um, I believe Randy Kitzman sent that in. Um, Randy is an old SNR loyalist. Um, you and I talked about this a little bit, Chris. So before I, I reveal my all-time, you know, AWA dream match, I have to ask you, did I did, did I give you three or four? Uh, I, this is a handicap match that I, yes. that I had in mind. Was it three or four against one? I you, think it was. I think it was three on. I think it was. Hmm, you know, okay. I don't know. I think well, I think it was three on one. All right. Well, at any rate, this would be my AWA dream match. And I know a lot of people have figured I would say, you know, Nick Bockwinkle or what have you. But no, uh, if you could bring them up individually on the screen, this would be a handicap match uh, that I would uh, personally call my AWA dream match. OK, hold on here. Let me. Certainly. Yeah, it was uh, it was three on one. I'm making sure that I get all three of them. OK. Okay. okay. All important. right. See, this is real time. Yep. Yep. This, this is pretty important. This is pretty important. Drum roll, please. I hope it's okay. not a midget match. No, no, no. You won't see a midget. This is one guy that I would have on the team. One of the toughest wrestlers ever in the history of wrestling, Harley Race. He would be my first guy that I would put on the team in this handicap match. Okay, so there is that. Here is number two. Number two? Oh, there he is. Haku in the AWA, of course, he was King Tonga. 
And I don't think there's a tougher wrestler in the history of the business. So, so far, you've got Harley Race and King Tonga. You know, whoever is in the handicap match is in deep shit. Okay, let's go to number three. Okay, we're going to bring up number three here. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get this fellow right here. I think he's well known. Oh, there he is. There's our old friend, the late Bruiser Brody. So think of the combination that you have on one side of the ring, ladies and gentlemen. Harley Race, King Tonga, and Bruiser Mm -hmm. Brody in a handicap match, three on one. You know that their opponent is going to get the crap kicked out of them. You know it's going to happen. So have you got the picture of of my dream opponent? Uh, Man Mountain Mike. Well, no, that would be, you know. Uh, I've got to, I got to go back and I got to grab this. Oh, okay. No, well, I wanted to make sure that I got the best picture of this. So, okay. So we've got Harley race, King Kong Brody. Yep. And Tonga. Yep. Against. Let's see. Oh, oh, well, not, not knowing specifically or not mentioning a name. I think I've got a pretty good idea, and I'm sure the fans do too, who the opposition would be in that three-on-one handicap match. And, you know, I I would say this is, you know, probably 1980s uh, in that era, but there was nothing that I would (laughs) like to see more than those three guys against that one guy. And, and I would add that this would be the one time when I want the stipulation, as they called him, a death match to the finish. I wanted that guy. Well, well there you are, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. You know, there you pretty, go. Pretty, pretty good setup there, Chris. And I, I, I think it was worth the wait. But uh, wrestling fans, you'll get the idea. Yeah, it, it's fun because when you sent me all of those pictures. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, yeah, you could go so many different ways. And I I popped. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. So, Mick Karch, bravo. To the Tip finish, to a you. death match. A death match. There you go, folks. Oh, man. All right. And, uh, yeah, that was from uh, Randy Kitzman. Hey, this one from uh, – this one for you, George, from – Chris Poshak, why was the AWA TV title created? Well, you got to remember the time frame that it was created. Vern Gagne had retired. The AWA was in some trouble with the invasion from out east to the circus out there. And things were kind of tough. And Vern could use, he was never going to put, this is something fans really need to know. Vern was always wise enough to never put the AWA world title on Greg. Correct. And it just made sense that he didn't. But you sometimes say, you know, his ego could have been, I'm giving it to my son. But he didn't. So what he did was he created the television title, the international television title. And that's really what it came down to. It was a way to reward Greg with a lesser title that obviously fans would realize wasn't the world title. And that was the reason it was created. And Greg was a good representative of it. He had some good matches with Ronnie Garvin, who was a very credible opponent, obviously, and and a former NWA champ and a great 
you want to call him a journeyman? He was awesome. Ronnie Garvin was. And he had a, a battles with yeah. Adrian Adonis and so on. So that was for Greg. Why didn't Greg ever get the world title? Was it just because he was small because of the size? I, I mean, no. why, why, why would he not have, I mean, he could have done anything he wanted. Why not just, why not give it to Greg with the push that he had? My opinion, then, Mick, you give yours. My opinion was very simple. Vern really was wise enough to understand that Greg didn't have the size. Greg had all of his detractors as it was that were picking on him because he was the promoter's son, that he got his push because he was the promoter's son. And Vern just realized that that was one thing he wasn't going to put Greg through. I think Greg would have been fine for a short term. I mean, other people have held the title we had non-wrestlers hold titles. So it would have been okay with me, but the average fans just would not have accepted it, and it would have been too much backlash for Vern. And so that's my reason for it. I, I completely agree. And, you know, Greg, he got the TV title, although <laughs> in typical AWA fashion, uh, he won it in a tournament. Um, last match was against Adrian Adonis, and he won by disqualification. You know, they didn't even have Greg uh, pin Adrian uh, for the TV title. But like George said, Vern was very smart. Greg had the AWA tag team titles with Jim Brunzel. He had the TV title beating Adonis. And towards the end, Greg's popularity was starting to wane a little bit because they actually booed him in Chicago when he went up against Ronnie Garvin. So I think all things considered – uh, Vern made the right decision, and uh, Greg did very, very well. He didn't, he didn't need the title. And you know, the, one uh, of the things no, that we ahead. always hear, one of the things that we always hear, and Mick and I have always been a supporter of Greg in this respect. Greg gave so much in the ring, and was so believable. Yeah. And we go back to the stories of guys like Nick and Ray Stevens, and people that say they enjoyed working with Greg. You know, that he was always a night off because it was easy to do. And then, you know, Greg got tested. Greg has shared with me some stories about how some of the guys would get in there and they'd throw a sucker punch or they'd do something to just, you know, this is for your old man, they would say, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And Vern, to his credit, and along with Billy Robinson, they gave Greg enough to deal with in the ring so that he could defend himself. And he could. Greg wasn't the pussy that some people think he was. He was the real deal. Yep. And he just doesn't get the respect for it because he wasn't, you know, six foot nine and beach, bleach blonde and whatever. Yeah. It, it's just a sad deal. This one for you, Mick. Uh, wondering if we could bring up Bull Belinsky. Uh, he was quite the traveler from what I glean off the internet. By the way, gleaning is a very underrated term as a verb. And uh, was wondering how he was received here. Always loved him on TV, but he was never in my immediate area to see live. Been a faithful listener since episode one. That coming from Dale Amon. You know, it's it's really interesting about Bo Belinsky, uh, Frank Shields, the Boston Wrecker, Boston Bruiser. Yeah, a journeyman wrestler. Was not the tallest guy in the world. I don't think Belinsky was more than 5'8", five, 5'9", five, if that. Uh, certainly didn't have any kind of a... Uh, uh, a bodybuilder physique, if you will, but boy, right place, right time, right gimmick. And, you know, they they, uh, they build him as an out-of-work truck driver who got involved in professional wrestling to feed his family, and they teamed him up with the Crusher. 
and that was gold. So you basically had these two working class heroes. There's the ball, uh, working class heroes teaming together. And uh, it went very, very well for a while. When it went south for Belinsky, uh, was right after an angle with Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, they had a match, a main evented actually in uh, Minneapolis after uh, Nick double crossed Belinsky and you know beat him up on television. After that, Bull kind of was relegated to opening matches, second match on the card, and basically jobbing for everybody. So as fast as the meteoric rise was for Belinsky, that was as fast as his downfall was. But he made a nice living here in the AWA, and he was very well received. And, you know, the thing about the gimmick for Belinsky is that it was timely. And that's a lot of gimmicks in pro wrestling. You know, the time period was just right for the gimmick, and it worked. But when that time frame ends, then the gimmick doesn't work. With Belinsky, yeah. the out-of-truck driver thing, there was a legit strike, national strike yeah. going on. And he come up with this gimmick. And what was a lot of fans don't remember is they brought him in. Vern wanted him to be a heel. He was called Bad Boy Belinsky. But the, the fans chose this one. They recognized that this, what is more working class and more, you know, than a truck driver? They bring mm-hmm. you everything you, you eat, you sleep on, you your furniture. He was an out-of-work truck driver. So they they responded to him as a blue-collar, your neighbor. And that's why he yeah. got over, and that's what made it work for him. Another one from uh, Twitter here, guys. This one for you, George, from uh, Andrew Lutzke. Uh, he said he was co-workers for years with Frankie Hill, uh, Jules Strongbow, and he said that Vern wanted to put him in Wahoo as a title-contending team in the late 70s. Uh, would the fans have accepted Hill's rise from the prelims or was he just kind of cast into the role that he was in? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things here in, in to answer that question. Number one, Frankie Hill had been around as wrestling as an Indian wrestler with the headdress and, and you know, the, the dance and everything. But he was relegated to TV matches and usually early opening card uh, exposure. So when Wahoo was here... I don't know. I can't speak for what this fan says that, you know, Frankie Hill told him. I don't know that Wahoo would have rejected it because if they would have worked the angle correctly, Wahoo could have taken him as a partner that, you know, I'm the veteran. I've got a a good young wrestler here and I'm going to, we're going to combine. We're going to defend our heritage. I don't think the fans would have had a problem with it. I don't think it was ever offered though. And I, I really don't think Wahoo would have said no. I can't say that for sure. We do know that Jay Strong or that Jewel Strongbow was later uh, dubbed in uh, WWF at the time, mm-hmm. and he got over and, and had a decent run. So I think it would have worked. And uh, the next one for you, uh, for you, Mick, from uh, Jeremy Chura, who's a, a big fan of the show as well. Uh, were there any wrestlers that were hard to work with when you had to interview them? Wow. Um no, I, I, uh, particularly in the AWA, you know, I didn't do a lot of in-ring stuff interviewing guys in the AWA, but when I did, it was very easy. Uh, also on SNR, it was very, very easy. Uh, for the most part, uh, for whatever reason, I had a really decent rapport with the guys, and when we would come out to do an interview, I would just basically say, this is what I'm going to talk about, and if anything is off-limits, uh, let me know ahead of time, and, and we won't go there. 
But no, I was very, very fortunate, worked with a lot of great people, and I don't think anybody was particularly difficult. No. The uh, next one for you, George, um, this one as well. I'm going to go back up here on the, the sheet. Uh, again, another one from uh, Andrew Lutsky. Uh He said he remembers a vignette where Adnan and Boris Dukov uh, trained with a bear. Is this something I completely imagined as a kid 35 years ago? Because nobody seems to remember such a thing. Well, <laughs> It's, it is hard to remember things that didn't happen. So I, I guess I'm going to say, yes, you imagined it. Or, I mean, I don't know. You know, I've, I've learned over the years, and I say this with no disrespect, but I'm being, I'm being honest when I say it. I have fans come up to me all the time and say, you know, I remember the time, and they give me some story. And it's like, okay, you got to give up the bananas, buddy. They're hurting you. And this one here, it didn't happen. It bananas? Bananas? Well, it's these oh, monkeys, that, these are, monkeys but, that come to you with all these stories, you know, some bald guy doing this They're filled with potassium. Don't yeah. mind. Potassium could be dangerous. Let's admit it. You know, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. The, the kid was 35 years ago. He was probably wrestling with his teddy bear, and now it's a lifelong memory. I just, no, it didn't happen. You imagined it, okay? <laughs> Who now was it? Boris Zukov that was wrestling with the teddy bear, or no? It was or, the, this kid's imagination. So you're telling me that Andrew it could have Lutsky, been Smokey the Bear. I don't know, but it wasn't. He he imagined it. Wow, you know, he, Andrew, he you says just got, up front. You, you, you just got buried by George Shire. Congratulations. He says up front, nobody <laughs> believes this happened, and I can't find anybody. Well, there you go. We we're not getting inside your head, man. Like I said, give up the bananas. Oh my God! All right. Well, this one for uh, for you, for you, Mick. Uh, Mick, uh, do I recall? And this is another. Okay, do I recall a newspaper column in the Twin Cities by a guy named John Sherman, and he didn't take his uh, literary license a bit too far? Uh, thanks for all of you do for such an entertaining trip down memory lane. That from Mike Kaminsky. John Sherman, I actually, I, I looked up a little bit of his uh, post-wrestling column days on the Internet, and he had a, yeah, a pretty good career as a journalist here in the state of Minnesota, uh, working for the Suburban Sun newspapers. The wrestling connection, back in the 70s, John Sherman did a column called Pro Wrestling Update. And again, this was for uh, the Suburban Sun newspapers in and around the Twin Cities area. And I put this picture up of Super Destroyer Mark II with a chin lock on Nick Bockwinkle. The connection to John Sherman, I will, I will tell you in just a second. Uh, John covered the matches religiously. He, you know, part opinion, part results, blah, blah, blah. The AWA actually put him over. On television, every week they would talk about, go get your Suburban Sun newspaper. John Sherman does a great column on pro wrestling. Well, then all of a sudden, the thing with literary license, long before Super Destroyer Mark II was unmasked, John Sherman decided that he was going to unmask him in his column. So he wrote a full column on Bob Remus being from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how it, it must have been coincidence. John Sherman was not mentioned 
on the AWA <laughs> wrestling show anymore. Uh, I don't know if his column went too long beyond that, but it was like all of a sudden, and I looked at this one day and I, holy shit, does the office know this guy is doing this? Yeah. And again, it was way before uh, Remus Sergeant Slaughter had been unmasked. So not a good move on John Sherman's part. Wow, that's... Did the office... I mean, how did they... Because, I mean, you're kind of in that era of kayfabe, guys. I mean, how did... Not kind of. Not kind of. You you were were deep in it. Yeah. So, I mean, how is something like that received, though, and and put over on TV? I can only imagine how it was received by Vern in the AWA office and Greg and Wally when they saw that. I'm sure that Vern slapped his forehead probably 70, 80 times and basically said, we're never mentioning this guy again. I don't know. You know, I'm just guessing. But I do know that is pretty much when the the push for John Sherman's column stopped on AWA TV. Wow. Go ahead, George. Well, I was going to say, you know, the thing is about that kayfabe era, this is how we earned respect with the guys that we didn't reveal secrets, storylines, identities, real names. If we'd have done that, I mean, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't have been around either. And, yeah. and that was hard to get that respect. So when you got a guy like Sherman who kind of just blows the whistle, I mean, he's lucky that the guys didn't show up at his house and pile drive him to the basement. Just just real quick, Chris, I want to make mention, I know we're running a little low on time here, but there was a columnist in St. Paul uh, for one of the St. Paul newspapers, Arno Gaithel, yeah. and he did a multi-part series on professional wrestling. And the AWA was all excited about it. Uh, before they started reading his articles. Uh, they, they promoted it on TV, but then all of a sudden he's revealing the inside and he's taking shots at wrestling, and he was just persona non grata. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, again, this is back right in the heart of the kayfabe era. Yeah, well, we got about 10 minutes here, guys, so we got enough for a few more. Um, someone here for, uh, for you, George, I've heard multiple versions of a reasoning behind Mad Dog's opening of an airplane door, I tend to believe the version in Adnan's book involving Adrian Adonis. Uh, what say you? Well, you know, I'm going to be honest and say that I don't recall. It's been a while since I read Adnan's book, so I don't recall what Adrian's version of this was. But here's the deal with the airplane incident. Um, we've heard Greg tell a story, and he does a great version of Mad Dog in telling it. We've heard his version, we've heard Adonis's version, we've heard Jimmy Brunzel give a version, and we've heard Bachwinkle give a version. Each one of their stories regarding the incident, if you listen to them, they are a little bit different, so it's all their own recollection of that time. The key thing to remember is that it did happen, that's real. Mad Dog opened the door and did exactly what they said, started throwing his wrestling gear and out. But here's the bottom line. There was drug, there was some, what do they call them? Qua- I don't know anything about drugs. Quaaludes or something is the story. And there was alcohol involved. And you put those two together and you're way up in the sky and you're high anyway. Mm-hmm. There's where the story comes in. Each version's a little bit different. But Mad Dog has told it, or he doesn't now, of course, but he had told the story too. And he had a little bit different version. Mm-hmm. It's a true story. 
Quaaludes, 30,000 feet, and Mad Dog Vashon. Now, there's a combination. Yeah, there that, that's, that's as bad as Haku and Bruiser and Harley Race. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get to one more each. And I know we've got more, and we'll roll these over to uh, another uh, no DQ and A. Um, let me uh, let me see here. Actually, uh, Mick, this will be the last one for for you here. Um, can uh, you share a story of when you got mooned at your AWA audition? I've told this one before, but there I am at Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Greg Gagne has invited me in to do the auditioning for the uh, ring announcer position. So they want to see what I can do in front of the camera. So they just said, you know what? Promote a show. Go out there and start spewing your guts. Make up a show in your head and give it a big push, big hype, big hot sell. So just prior to that, I look out of the corner of my eye and there's a wrestler and I, I, I didn't trust this guy anyway, but I figured, all right, I'm going to go ahead with this uh, with my audition. So as I'm doing this hard sell for this make-believe card, I see Soldat Ustinov, Jim Lanning, my old good buddy, the Russian crusher, has dropped his drawers, and he has flashed me those two monumental buttock cheeks of his, as I'm doing the uh, the promo, my audition, and he's trying to get my attention, and damn it, I did not flinch. And uh, I, despite the fact that I got mooned by Soldat Ustinov, I got the job in the AWA, and thank you very much, Jim Lanning. Even though I got the job, the memory of your ass <laughs> pointing in my direction as I'm doing the, uh, the audition is a never-ending nightmare. And there he is in all of his glory. Well, not all of it, but pretty much. <laughs> the glory that we can show here exactly. uh, on, the, on the show. All right, guys, we've got a couple more, but we'll go ahead and, and uh, push those over to, uh, to next week. Uh, let's go ahead and get to our shout-outs, and then let's go ahead and uh, just uh, wrap it up with the trivia. Um, first of all, for the uh, trivia question last week, uh, let's go ahead and get to our winner from last week, Nick. Winner is Mark Peterson, noted photographer here in the state of Minnesota, Twin Cities area. I asked the question, who was Chris Markoff referencing when he came out to do a promo with a tag team partner and said, look at the size of the man's head. And it was Boris Zukov that he was uh, referencing. Boris had a head the size of a medicine ball. So congratulations, Mark Peterson. So, uh, yep, congratulations, Mark, and uh, you will get uh, you will get something from Mick in the mail. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it's going to arrive, but you will get something from Mick um, in a uh, Mark package that says uh, Mick Karch on it. Uh, let's go ahead and oh, give man, the shout-outs. the door open, man. Whoa. Do we want to do the next uh, trivia question, or do we want to do a shout-out? Uh, let's do the shout outs. Um, oh. uh, yeah, no, no, no. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Let's do the, the next trivia question. Then we'll do the, the shout out. See, this is, you think we're, we're planning this. We kind of plan it, but you know, one or two comments, it takes it off the rails. Uh, let's go ahead and yeah, Mick, uh, I've got it fired up. So go ahead and whenever you're ready. This week's trivia question in the 1970s, there was an AWA mid card uh, talent. He was Canadian he appeared on some of the house shows, and he had the initials RR. Wasn't here for a very long time, but he, he had his fan following. 
tell me who that gentleman is, and uh, you're going to win some uh, some merchandise. So, and again, uh, you can email either George or Mick, uh, Mick at mickcartridgegmail.com or George at gsshire uh, at comcast.net. Let's go ahead and give the shout outs and then uh, wrap it up. Uh, I've got yours on here, Mick, so we'll go Mick, George, and then uh, the knees. So fire away, Mick. Want to give a shout out to a very good friend of mine who has achieved great success in professional wrestling and he has earned every bit of it. And I'm talking about Adam Pierce. Uh, Adam, I got to know when he started out in Steel Domain Wrestling, he evolved into one of the great heels of the modern era, NWA world champion multiple times, and now, of course, the authority figure in WWE, a great, great friend and a great guy. Now, what about you, George? Mine is a guy that I endear myself to because he's not only a wrestling fan, which obviously we have a connection, but he loves comic books. And even though I'm a million years old, I still reflect back on the days in the 60s growing up when superheroes were my favorite things, comic books. And uh, Jay Barnett, he's got a great web page. He's into old comics. And uh, he and I talk about him a lot. And he enjoys our show, and he's one of our biggest supporters. So a shout-out, Jay. I love you, man. Thanks. And uh, I'm going to go to somebody that uh, I think has maybe accomplished a thing or two in the wrestling business, uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, uh, who is a, uh, oh, a recent yeah. followers of ours on uh, Twitter. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's part of the uh, – he's got a, a training school with uh, Glenn Jacobs down in, uh, I think, uh, Knoxville. So, uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, uh, I mean, legendary performer, one of the best trainers in the entire industry – uh, we're glad to have him as uh, part of our Twitter following and uh, does a great job down there. So uh, truly honored uh, to uh, give the shout out to uh, Dr. Tom. Guys, this has been fun. Uh, I know that we kind of got off track a little bit, but yeah, hey, that's what happens. We're not going to, what do they call this, ring rust? We got like two minutes left. So uh, Wait a minute. Wait, don't put the heat on us. You, you, you were 30 it's seconds. all of us, you dumbass. No, no, no. You started by dropping the F-bomb, and I don't think that Soda Stick is going to put out a Chris Tubbs t-shirt with your picture on it with F-bomb on the logo. See that? Hey, hey, See that? hey. That's, Yeah, that's for you, Mick. That's Whoa. for you, Mick. Georgie, back me up on that. It's not our fault. It's not our fault. 30 seconds into the show today, the, the man was off the railroad tracks. You know what, guys? 